Hi, listeners. Hillary here. Here at Writing with Friends, we're currently taking a bit of time off to enjoy the summer between our second and third seasons and to deepen our personal writing practices. In the meantime, we've prepared a special bonus episode for you. Today, we'll be talking to TV writer Ritza Bloom, who's written for ABC's Grownish as well as Disney's high school musical, The Musical, The Series. Tune in to hear about what a TV writer's room actually feels like, where Ritza draws her inspiration from, and a bit of her advice for aspiring writers. This informal interview contains strong language, so please be mindful before letting minors listen. Our regular season episodes will always be appropriate for all ages. And a quick note from me, Hillary, please excuse my shaky audio on this episode. I was in the middle of a cross-country move, and I didn't have access to my regular audio setup. Anyway, BJ and I hope you'll enjoy hearing from Ritza just as much as we enjoyed talking with her. And we'll be back before you know it with a new season of Writing with Friends. Happy summer! So our guest here today is Ritza Bloom, and Ritza, we'd love to start with you telling us a little bit about yourself, whatever you want to share, name, pronouns, interest, hobbies, the writing you do, any of that. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Yeah, I'm Ritza, and I have the pleasure of being a fellow alum with these two Smarties. Um, And yeah, I've since become a professional TV writer, which is how I intersect with you two. And um, pronouns, she, her. I live in Los Angeles. Um, I've been here for the past 10 years, which is crazy. But um, yeah, I admire writing of all styles. And it just so happens that the kind that I do pertains more to like mass media and entertainment, like whether it's TV, mostly comedies, and also uh, features. Wonderful. Yeah. And we'll get into a little bit more like the specifics of what you've written and what you're working on. Um, <clears throat> but we want to go way back because as you said, <laughs> we know each other from college. And so I'm curious, when did you start thinking of yourself as a writer? Oh my God, that's such a good question. Cause I feel like, uh, you know, uh, we, so we went to Duke and at the time, at least I wouldn't necessarily call it like a, a, a behemoth in the arts. You know, like we had a small arts program. I was a theater and sociology major, but it's nothing like, you know, Tish at NYU or like even like USC out here, which has like this huge mafia, um, when it comes to especially to, uh, TV and movies and stuff. Um, but yeah, in, in college, I studied sociology and uh, eventually studied theater. I worked at the costume shop and that's what got me kind of into it through a back door. And I remember in my mind, those two disciplines overlapped in the idea that especially if you look at like American history, um, stories and movies and TV and musicals even really reflected where society was, if not became catalysts for what society could be. I remember taking this one great class with Neil Bell, actually with me too, and we would scream every week because it was a horror movie class. But when I, I'm not a horror movie person. I'm a terribly skittish human and a very ugly crier. So you should never put me in front of <laughs> horror movies or spicy food. And um, I remember watching these movies and being struck by how much you can tell about a society by seeing what they're scared of and what fears bring to the surface. And um, and for me in my mind, I was like, man, stories are so powerful. And I'm 
Haitian American, I'm a black woman. And I think there is just so much space left still um, to diversifying the stories that we tell and highlighting underrepresented voices. And that's what um, drew me to the industry. So after uh, college, I came to LA, one-way ticket. And at first I was like, you know, auditioning for little acting things. And I never considered myself a writer, but it occurred to me that if any of my thoughts, if I wanted to get them out at all, like waiting to do so as an actor where they're literally putting words in your mouth is not going to be, you know, the way to do it. And so I collaborated with a couple other degrads and made this and wrote a web series and learned a lot about writing and that process and um, sequential writing, like episodic kind of writing and, um, and fell in love with it. And uh, so long story short, you know, I started uh, writing and collaborating with friends to give me notes and help me get better at my craft. I like apprenticed under a story consultant for two years. I, you know, read the books, did the thing. I interned and hustled and worked at the mall and worked at the movie theater and did all of those like um, startup jobs because I didn't know nobody. Um, <laughs> nobody was, you know, looking at your girl. And um, my, I guess, break into the industry came in about 2017. And I was working at Fox uh, at the time as an assistant in drama, the drama department. So we were covering shows like Empire back in the day and Star. And uh, a comedy script that I had submitted to a fellowship. A lot of the networks will have like diversity initiative fellowships. Um, got me into this uh, crazy interview process at ABC. And so I ended up joining the ABC Disney Writing Fellowship in 2018. And through that, I got to work on my first TV show, which was Grownish, a uh, spinoff of Blackish. Um, season two. And then from there, I've, um, written on some couple other shows, High School Musical on Disney Plus. I did this Apple family show on Apple Puppy Place. And most recently was on this show that'll be on Amazon slash Freebie, which is a conversion of a British sitcom. Wish us luck, uh, into an American version of it, uh, called Dinner with the Parents, which should be coming out in August. I'm very excited about it. And um, so, yeah, that's like my journey. And so I do that, you know, I work in rooms on TV shows and when I'm not doing that, I'm doing development stuff, writing and pitching and selling, you know, pilots. And when I'm not doing that, I'm writing features. And when I'm not doing that, I'm playing with my family and chasing after toddlers and like, <laughs> trying to go to the beach. You know, that's the one good thing about LA is that you can get out in nature and everything. So that's my life. As you mentioned, we do have this mutual friend, so I hear updates through her, but yes. I love hearing it directly from you. <laughs> <laughs> Without her commentary. Huh? <laughs> Always accolades. <laughs> it sounds better hearing it from you, like seeing all the steps. And one of the things I'm curious about is, what have you taken from your time in acting to writing? Like, how has that helped shape your writing and your craft and yeah. teach you about writing characters and developing that? That's such a good question. I don't think I've ever like really been asked that before. And I, and what I love about it is that, uh, you know, a lot of people are like, Oh yeah, you never use your college degree. I think my background in sociology and theater, I use all the time. I really do. And I wish I could say that it impacts the writing itself, which it sometimes does, you know, you want to make sure your dialogue is natural. So a lot of, we were talking before we recorded about how like you all are beautiful novelists and like prestige writers. And I like, you know, write fart jokes and, and scripts. And <laughs> um, and so the way in, in screenplays, it's usually just like dialogue, action, dialogue, dialogue, action, scene heading. So it's very sparse typically. And so uh, coming from an acting background, you do want to make sure your language sounds as natural as possible because everything you write 
is what's it's it's meant to be read aloud it's like you know Shakespeare wasn't meant to be studied in the classroom it was meant to be on the stage you know like so you always have to keep in mind how the medium informs the craft but I will say in the part of the work that I do especially the development work especially uh selling pitches what you do is you're uh sharing an idea of a story you have either it's an original or adaptation to network executives and having a background in acting is really helpful because I know I know how to not bore people if I'm like talking enthusiastically and nerding out about a story that I want you to buy because I think it'd be great and, you know, we could do this and that. It really does help to have a background in just not even performance, but just self-presentation. Um, so you know how to like, how to keep them on the hook, like while you're talking about like 30 minute pitch about like season arcs and characters and, and all of that. So yeah, and I end up using that stuff a lot, actually, more than I thought I would. Oh, that's awesome. And you mentioned how you kind of fell in love with storytelling and bringing some of your background into your writing. Where else do you find inspiration? Like, do you go out and look for it? Or is it just like, oh, I remember this story and that sparks something new? That's such a great question, too. I feel like uh, inspiration comes from everywhere. And one of the things that I learned in the uh, ABC program that I found to be utterly true is that, like, as, you know, a professional writer, especially in this industry, your job is to, like, bleed out on the table for your colleagues to mine stories and to make money. That is the whole point. Like, if you go to a normal job with normal people and you had a fight with your mom on the phone on the way there, you kind of leave it at the door. You maybe tell your best friend, your work buddy and your work husband at the water cooler, but not as a TV writer. Like, you come and you go, like, I just had this terrible fight with my mom. And then we all talk about it and we're all, like, and we're like tell me more. You know, like, what what she said to you, what she said to her. And then, like, usually what ends up happening after this long 15-minute speech is that we all pause and we go we can use that for a character and then oftentimes <laughs> it'll find its way in the texture and the fabric of the story so it's both and I think sometimes it'll think be things from childhood and these revelations or these like memories that oftentimes are painful sometimes are funny most of the times are embarrassing um stories that you'll present willingly out to strangers and um, ideally, what happens is when you share that embarrassing story, someone else goes like, wow, that something similar happened to me. And that's ultimately what you're looking for. You're looking for those real moments that are very human, honestly. And because that's what makes like, I think, underneath all of the heightened stuff, that's what makes a good show or a good movie or just a good story. It's like, oh, human, we're all humans here. We're all together. But I will say, though, in addition... <clears throat> oftentimes inspiration will come just uh, just around you if you keep your antennas up. I was just texting this with a friend. He's a director. He's British. We met literally last week, watched each other's work. We have the same agents, so they put us in touch. And he had read a script of mine that's a comedy, and it's just based in um, this black guy who's a dentist and has a very boring, normal life, ends up becoming like kind of uh, involved in this Floridian group of animal catchers ironically and that like contrasts like how he gets bitten by kids at work as a dentist and how he can get bitten by an alligator outside of work and how that adventure informs his mundane life and he's like yeah where did that idea come from and I'm like oh you know it came from I I, uh didn't go to the dentist during the pandemic and then I had to and then I started going again and they were like you you need a lot of work and so I, I was in the dentist like every week for like a month essentially getting this done getting this filled and you just you're quiet and they're talking to each other and they're sharing these crazy stories above your head to each other and i'm like oh my god 
God. Like, why don't we have a workplace comedy about dentists? Like, they have the craziest stories, and these people are just in people's mouths. And so that was a very long-winded way of saying uh, inspiration can come from childhood. It can come from your day-to-day squabbles, or it could just come from the dentist if you you listen for it. Yeah. That's great. I think one of the things we've talked about on this podcast is just being open to finding inspiration and ideas everywhere. And you're showing that that actually works. Yes. Keep the antennas open. (laughs) And I also want to point out to our listeners, as long as I've known Ritza, she's always been so confident. And I think you need that sort of confidence to be able to share any type of story. (laughs) I know personally, I would not share as openly as you may do. (laughs) I love the euphemism of confidence. Which is like, I would say, like we said, I would say uncouth. Like, Aritza would always show her ass, and when no one asked her to, and here we are. But it is, it is, uh, sorry, for, you know, for the kids are listening. But um, yeah, like, I, I think, yeah, no shame is what's helpful. You know, like, people say that too. They, I don't know, I'm sure they see that in your side of the writing as well. But that idea of like, write like everyone you know is dead, that idea. Have you heard that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. yeah. You know, telling us the idea of like, you know, if my mom read this, she'd be sad. like, whatever, right? Like she's dead. Like, right? Like, right? Like you have no shame because then again, you get into the most honest part of yourself. Right. right. Okay. I need to work on that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Call me. I'll help you. I'll get you. I'll take all your shame. BJ is like a little bit more inhibited. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Seal it in. Conceal. <laughs> Let it out. Let it out. Boom. There it is. You just get it. BJ, BJ gets the wrong takeaway. <laughs> take off the mask. Like at the end of Scooby-Doo. You know what I'm saying? Like, take off the mask. Do that. Yes. <laughs> so before we get into more about the writer's room, which sounds very interesting, we're curious about how you write on your own. Do you have any uh, rituals or habits? And how do you find time to do that? You seem very busy. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a good question i feel you know hey i know a lot of writers who hate writing i know a lot of people who are like i wrote one script five years ago and i'm just you know i, I have to drag my feet to write another i will say i um i'm the opposite part of that feel is because i do end up getting a lot of ideas that spark to me and i have like oftentimes like a notebook where i'm writing things down or i'll email ideas to myself so so i feel like you have to service these ideas or these impulses otherwise you lose them and, and i feel honored to get any level of inspiration from the universe. And and secondly, I, I feel very lucky to do what I do professionally. I, I'm a first-generation American from Florida. There is no way that I should be able to work in this industry. And, and you know, as a writer, I feel like the, the strength that we have is that you can always write, you know, like if I were an actor professionally and the pandemic shuts down, like, what do you do, right? But as a writer, you can always sit down and write. And so I like to keep that mentality and keep that hustle and so my ritual is I usually I'll write a candle. I again I have a three year old and a one year old, so it's often wait until they're in bed or <laughs> sleeping or in some level comatose. And um, then what I usually end up doing, I've learned to appreciate formatting. You know, like outlines and stuff. I, I gotten various versions of like how to break out a script and acts and everything like that. And so I find it so useful. So you can hang those moments and those bits of inspiration like you know like oh that should belong in act one or that should go in act three and so once i have that framework then i'll usually just dive in um because you know time is of the essence 
And then I'll usually send like a really rough draft to either my team, my agents, my managers, or like one or two other writers. I'm not someone who uh, does like um, like writers groups. I know some people will do that where you like share pieces of your script with like 10 other writers. I find that most of the time it's like everyone else is telling you ideas about how they would do your stuff versus how to actually make it better, which are two different like. Right. <laughs> so I get super annoyed, but some people love writers groups and get a lot of get a lot out of them. Um, so that's usually, yeah, it's usually my process. Beautiful. So that just like really resonates with us because our very first episode was about writers workshops and like how miserable they are. Uh, <laughs> yes. Right. How not to like just spend the whole time telling other people that, yeah, if I were writing this, here are all my ideas. Right. Nobody even asked you. Nobody asked right. you. Right. So why are we doing that? It's like, right? It's like, it's, I find it's just so frustrating. And I know, and I get invited all, you know, the time, like, do you want to join our writers group? We submit 10 pages each week. And honestly, I will say this too, like, as a mom, I don't want to commit to something that I don't know is fully serving me or servicing me in some way every week. Like, that's just, you know what I'm saying? Time is different like that. And I'll also say that as a parent, I'm a much better writer now that I'm mom because I time manage differently than I would have if I like, you know, had nothing to do and all the time in the world, you know, I, I, I use my time much more efficiently. And I find that I, I write really quickly. Because <laughs> right. I have to. Well, also resonate strongly. Because yes. you're like, I know how long the snap is going to be. And I gotta, I gotta squeeze this out. Hello. <laughs> That's the name of this episode is like how to become a better writer. Have children, procreate, like, don't worry about the cost. Don't worry if you'll actually be a good parent. Know that they will service your writing. It's worth it. We promise. Asterix. Right, asterisk. And then they can have therapy because their mom was a writer. Right. We don't have to deal with that. We've got our drafts. That's their problem. That's for them. (laughs) We got to come back to the writer's room because as we mentioned at the top, BJ and I write solo. So we're fascinated by the writer's room. So interested in, you're saying your your personal life is kind of on the table for everyone to see. Can you describe a little bit for us non-TV writers, like dynamics, like how does it work brainstorming with other people? And how does that actually like go from idea to draft? What's the collaboration yeah. like? No, that's such a good question because I feel like it's such a niche random job and like most other normal people jobs you say like oh I'm a doctor and I can kind of picture because I've seen TV I can picture kind of what your day-to-day is probably roughly I'm probably wrong but I have like an idea <laughs> yeah. what it's probably roughly like but like you know the, the, nobody likes navel gazing so you're very rarely ever going to find a show about like TV writers and also we're mostly quite boring people <laughs> so like I don't know like the shows we make are much more interesting than we are but basically yeah so um if I were staffed And of course, the pandemic shifted a lot of this to Zoom, but the same principles remain. I'll just describe it like we're in person. Basically, as a writer, you'll go into an office that's usually on a lot or in a studio or maybe some random part. And you go like office part and you'll go to uh, you're all around this table. It's usually this very long table and there's whiteboards all around the room and there's a hierarchy in the room. So as the, the boss is usually referred to as the showrunner and they are like usually an executive producer on the show. Maybe the show is their original idea. Maybe it was someone else's idea, but they are in charge of the show and making it function because the original creators off doing other things. So like from my first show, Grownish, uh, it was Julie 
was our showrunner because Kenya Barris was moving to Netflix. And so he wasn't mm-hmm. going to run the day-to-day of it. But he at one point had run the day-to-day over Blackish. But I say all that to say the showrunner person is essential because they are not only the conduit between your room and the studio that you're reporting to and the network that you're reporting to, but they're also, their job is to shepherd the story and the productivity of the room. So, and then from the showrunner, you have like writers of various levels. You have some upper levels, like EPs or co-EPs, stuff like that. You'll have some mid-levels where, where I'm at, like anything from co-producer to like supervising producers. Then you'll have um, like lower levels where most people start as like staff writers, story mm-hmm. editors. And the good room will hopefully have a mix of people of all levels. And then you'll have the support staff with the writer's assistant, the writer's PA, and they are essential. They're the ones that are writing down. This. There's usually, sometimes there's a screen on the wall of the room too. And the writer's assistant, their job is like a stenographer. Like they write down mm-hmm. all the notes as you're like talking and pitching openly. And um, the PAs are, again, essential. They uh, do so much, but um, as writers, you'll look at them and go, where's my lunch? And they'll bring you lunch and it's very helpful. But um, <laughs> nonetheless... The way the stories usually get generated is the showrunner will come in and steer the ship and they'll say, listen, today we're working on episode four. We have a noodle. I, I think it should be about this, but, you know, have at it. And uh, depending on the personality of the showrunner some of and the goal, some of them will be very, like, task-oriented. And so you're pitching to that idea. You're talking and creating to that idea. You're sharing stories from your life as it pertains to that idea. So everything is kind of guided. There are also other kinds of showrunners who, depending on the type of show, grownish and blackish are like this. They're a bit more meandering, but it's kind of on purpose. So I remember like our first week at work at grownish, Kenny Bears was like, no, we're not talking about work. We're just going to talk about life. We're talking about current events. We're talking about mm-hmm. random stuff because that random stuff and, and the debates you get into across the table mm-hmm. found its way always into the show and shows like blackish or sitcoms like that oftentimes will debate a topic each episode versus very like high school musical which is like a very serialized show it's mm-hmm. much more about like okay what's happening in episode 105 as it pertains to the one before mm-hmm. and what leads us into the story after so basically it's a lot of guided discussion it's in comedy obviously you're trying to get jokes out too so comedy rooms ironically often will go later than drama rooms my drama friends are like we edit it four and i'm like what uh because it's double the scripts double the length often more episodes but they don't have to do jokes and jokes hate yeah <laughs> and you have to make better jokes and you have to make better jokes and but it's a lot of bleeding out and um ang- anxiously sharing stories and hoping <laughs> it's funny and looking in the whites of the eyes of other people for hours a day and being like, i hope you got that that pitch was like, and then like sometimes your pitches go with thud and the showrunner like swipes the left on him and you're just like ooh, and then pilot for the rest of the day <laughs> and sometimes you'll have a moment where your pitch is like really helpful and you're like yeah and then you're like bravado <laughs> and everyone knows I'm like damn i wish i had that idea it's like it's competitive collaborative storytelling and it's the weirdest coolest thing the last room i was in was like an adult my first time being out of the ya family genre and being more into like an adult comedy and i was so intimidated like the other writers are coming off of like friends and community and 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 mod fam and uh like a top writers on letterman and um and found like these are like real wow. people all of a sudden and i'm like and my little behind is gonna sit here and like and pitch i think we should do this joke and i'm like oh my god i really i i hope they don't think i'm stupid as hell so it's very intimidating it's very um the best company cultures are like supportive 
you know, I've been in rooms that are not that way where it's like, you know, they'll boo you and whatever or haze you. Oh yeah. It can get, it can get really toxic um, as well. But regardless, you know, your job is, is to pitch. Your job is to, is to help, help the showrunner make a good show. Like your job is to really support that person. So yeah, that's what it's like. Whoa. Wow. That sounds so <laughs> scary. Did it give me some stress you out? Stress me out too. Are <laughs> you sweating? I'm sweating too. Thinking about it. So just to shift gears a little bit, I've had the pleasure of watching a little bit of High School Musical, the musical, the series. And I was just so curious about how does the creative process work when you're writing something that also becomes a musical? Because for example, I think it's the second to last or the last episode, right? They're doing the musical of uh, Beauty and the Beast. So those songs are already written. But then all of a sudden, like, Olivia Rodrigo is singing, like, a, an original song that's, like, yes. situational based on, like, the tension among the characters. So I I was watching this and I was thinking, like, how does this work uh, collaborating with songwriters? Or are there people who are writing for the series who also write songs? What is it like working on a musical show? What was tricky and I think I thought executed hopefully well on that show was that it's it's so meta too. So it's like literally even by the title, the double colon, and the, like the musical, the musical, the series, like it's so crazy and, and, and layered. So to your point, you'll have like songs from an otherwise traditional musical or like first season from the original high school musical movie. And, but you're also doing these originals on layering on top of that and all of that. And I learned a lot on that show, especially how music can support like emotional arcs and you can take a break from characters having to mm. say how they feel to each other in a very literal way to being able to like kind of dive into their imaginations a bit, which was kind of cool getting to break tradition for a second be like, oh yeah, we're all just going to dance now and do this big number and that's going to make sense. So yeah, that was a real interesting like learning curve for me. And to answer the second part of your question, yes, on a show like that, we would write the scripts and then be like, and this is when, uh, you know, Livia's Karen Nini has a song and these are some sample lyrics I'm writing in here. And the song is about this. And it kind of sounds like these other two songs. And then that would get sent to songwriting teams and they would submit four or five drafts of songs of different like takes. Um, and then as it was really fun, like as a writer's room, we'd be like, okay, we got the new songs for episode, whatever. And then we'd sit there, we'd play it and be like, ah, I like number two more than ever. And we would sit there wow. and debate. And yes, Olivia got to sing a song in my episode, which was awesome. And she, and she wrote the song. And I want to say it was like 206, the Rose song. And she wrote it herself because she, of course, is a songwriter now has exploded before the time, you know, before it was still novel for her to do that for us, at least. And I remember, like, we're all crying in the room because her song was that good. Like, the lyrics, she's a great lyricist, hence why she's so successful. But, like, yeah, basically, we write something, we we say, like, insert song here. And then other songwriters who are far more talented will uh, will create the music of it. But it's so layered, and to your point, it's it's that much more collaborative um, than, than typical. It's, like, such a team sport. That's incredible. So you mentioned a little earlier that you were moving from like a YA writer's room to an adult writer's room. When you're writing, do you have like a specific person in mind that's the target of the show or like your dream audience, like people that you want to reach? Uh, when you're writing under contract in any way. So whether that's like the pilot or uh, on staff of a show, then you definitely have to 
deal with like the network mandate, right? So if I'm writing for this adult comedy on CBS, CBS and Amazon, I can tell different jokes because this is probably for uh, multi-generational audiences, but for adults largely. And that show happened to be like a show about a Jewish family. So like those stories can be more specific to that culture and that legacy. And when I'm writing, of course, for like High School Musical or right now I have like this pilot over at Nickelodeon that I'm working on, it's much more for younger audiences mm. and like Gen Z younger audiences too. So that's even like slightly different than my millennial old self. Like, you know, and, and the things that concern me, Gen Z is so different and so like free and so like textured and layered. Um, so oftentimes you find, I find myself like, just doing research and interviewing like, young kids to be like, what do you care about today? Um, but yeah, I think when I'm writing my own work, it's, uh, I oddly enough, and as weird as it sounds, it's like, uh, what would I want to watch? What would I want to see? And what would make me laugh? And because I think sometimes it's too, for me, it's too hard to put the pressure of myself of, of like, what would somebody else want? And of course you want it to be right. good, but, um, I, I like to have a bit more of a unique POV in the things that I write. And so it's it's like, what questions am I asking the world? That, and what things that specifically weirdly make me laugh or or make me think? Um, and, and so I'm often like, I don't know, it's, I'm sure similar to your work. It's like a diary almost, like writing is so yeah. cathartic. So yeah, I think about like, huh, what keeps me up at night? Or like, or what questions have I never really been answered for me? And so yeah, in some ways it's like very selfish, I guess. So kind of spinning off of being brave, you talked about being shameless or confident, however you want to word it. Do you have any advice for our listeners who might be aspiring writers, really in any type of writing? Mind your life. Mind your life and don't be afraid to do it. And I feel like sometimes I talk to younger aspiring writers and they're like, oh, but my life, you know, other people are doing so many things, like crazy things. I'm not crazy. I don't, I don't, you know, have this crazy upbringing, but there's, I want to say there's beauty in whatever your life is. And like, there's beauty in mundanity. Even if you feel like your life is mundane, like look at the show, like, you know, again, a millennial, like the office, right? Whose whole point was we're in a paper, you know, company and, and, and reveled and celebrated and pulled, stretched the limits of what we would consider mundane. And that's what ended up making the show so brilliant, right? It's not like everything doesn't have to be Marvel superheroes, unless that's what you love. But I just feel like, you know, the best writing, in my opinion, underneath the high stakes, underneath this, underneath that really does get down to like, what is just so raw and what is so human, you know, like, what is, what is that about me? And oftentimes, it's not necessarily the thing that like you'll put on your resume. Sometimes it is something like that happened in childhood or whatever, um, or quirky passion, you know, like rollerblading or baking or whatever. Um, yeah, I would just say don't shy away from the things that you love or the things that terrify you or the experiences that you've had. I feel like somewhere in there, the more specific things get, oftentimes the, mo- the more universal they are. That's a weird, like, you know, like my favorite show right now, and I'm just frothing in the mouth that it's back. It's like Succession. It's such a specific show, which on paper has nothing to do with me or my life. Yet the idea of like family tension and drama and wanting to prove yourself and wanting to be taken seriously and and also, you know, wanting to leave a legacy that means something behind like that. Those are that's so relatable. And, and that's so, again, like raw and human. So I think as long as you start from that like, what is the most, the raw humanity under this story or under this idea for you? Like, where did that come from for you? Usually that's the guiding light, I feel. 
I like that. Now I want to write something after this. <laughs> and so you've mentioned you're working with CBS. You mentioned Nickelodeon. Do you have any other upcoming projects you want to highlight? Well, yes. So when, when Dinner with the Parents comes out in August, I encourage everyone to watch it. It'll be on Freebie, a subsidiary of Amazon. So if you have Amazon Prime, you can watch it. It's, it'll be super fun. It's a take off of the British show Friday Night Dinner. Um, so for any, you know, Brit loving people out there, like you'll, and you, who loved that show, it was on, I think, for like 10 years over there. Then hopefully you'll love this. Um, so I'm excited about that. I have a project that I probably can't name really, uh, over at Nickelodeon that we're in the middle of writing and my fingers were tightly crossed that it gets picked up. It's a reboot of a beloved, uh, show from the nineties. And, and so I'm excited, uh, for that and, and hoping that that works out. And, um, you know, I don't know how much industry news travels outside. I don't know why it would, cause again, kind of boring, but the writers are probably striking, um, pretty soon. So that's a big deal. And, uh, and might slow things down. You might see a lot more reality TV and animation coming your way. So that's okay. fine. Um, <laughs> but I'm hoping also that that means that there'll be a boom in, uh, studios purchasing features. Cause I have a couple, uh, scripts that are like in the marketplace right now that I would love Ooh. to, um, you know, and populate the world. So yes, a couple of different things, but the most, the soonest thing that you could see is whenever it comes out, probably if not late summer, fall of this year, uh, uh, dinner with the parents. Awesome. Wow. We will be keeping an eye out for it and supporting Ritza. We usually end our show with, well, BJ and I end it with a book recommendation or our book pick of the week. But since you're a TV writer, we want to open it up to any media book, TV, movie, whatever you would like to recommend to our listeners. Well, I'm going to watch the Bachelor season finale tonight, and I'm very excited because I love watching women cry in ball gowns. There's like oh something so like beautiful and tribal about it, right? <laughs> yes, yes, and um, yeah. So I love that, and I yeah, I, I mean, I hate to be a broken record about it, but I'm so excited. I think Jesse Armstrong. So what I love about Succession is that it was written by comedy writers, but it's this like. Her like heart wrenching, tense like hour long drama, and I find myself like gravitating often towards hour long dramas that are great. Um, so definitely watch that. And I just started watching actually, and I thought it was quite charming. Unprisoned, Carrie Washington show. Yes. Um, hello, I for like anybody it. parents are in jail. Um, check that out because I think it's yeah she's doing the comedy thing right. Like usually I know her from Scandal and from you know, little fires everywhere. But like to see her do this like funnier role, it's, it's a tonal shift that I think is pretty fun. So yeah, in prison, check that out. Ooh, okay, great. Yeah. So many recommendations to keep us going. Where can we find you on the internet, social media, website, anything like that? I use Instagram at Ritza Bloom. And, um, and I just deleted my Twitter after the whole Elon stuff. So bye. But um, yeah, Instagram is my drug of choice. <laughs> And that's a wrap. And we'll look forward to being back in your podcast feed soon as well.